So we've been walking through the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 9. If you have a Bible, uh, you can open to Acts chapter 9. If you want a Bible, you can raise your hand in the air, and we will put a Bible in your hand and get you a Bible. Um, and so just put that hand up in the air high, and we will get a Bible in your hand. Right now, we're in Acts chapter 9, and we've just been just walking chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the book of Acts. And, and we talked about how if the Gospels are the story of Jesus relating to us individually, uh, Acts is the story of the Holy Spirit interacting with us corporately. And so it's a picture of how we interact with the Holy Spirit. It's the story of how the church was built. And so over the last few weeks in Acts, we've seen all of these crazy kind of signs and wonders, these miracles, these amazing things, these um, only God moments. Have you ever had one of those? Like a moment in your life where you look around and you kind of like, this could only happen by the power of God. This could only take place by the presence of God. Like there's no way I can explain this. There's no way that I can understand this. I can't even comprehend what's happening, but I think God just showed up and did something pretty amazing. Uh, we, we, uh, one of our friends and, and one of the missionaries that we support in the Muslim world, I can't even tell you who he is or where he's at. Um, by the way, we have multiple missionaries that we support in the Muslim world, but we don't kind of promote where they are or what they're doing because they're in a dangerous place and, and they don't want people to know where they are and what they're doing and the work that's happening. But one of those partners, I was having dinner with him a, a, about six or seven months ago, and, and he said, um, I showed up in this place where the gospel isn't welcome, right? Talking about Jesus is not kosher. It's not, the, it's not what we're supposed to be doing. It's not what's happening. It's, it's not the thing. And, and I showed up, and I didn't know what to do because I'm there on the ground, and, like, how do you spread the word of Jesus when you're not allowed to, like, publicly talk about it? Like, I couldn't just start a church and invite people to come because I put my life in danger and my kids' lives in danger. And so he said, I just started praying, and I just started saying, Lord, would you bring people to me? I don't know how you're going to do it, but would you bring people to me? And he prayed every single day. He just walked the streets of the community where he lived. And he and his wife would just pray, Lord, bring people to us, bring people to us, bring people to us. About four months after arriving on site, some guy knocks on his door. Guy he'd never met before, never seen before. And the guy said, I just drove an hour to get here because the man in the white robe told me to knock on your door. And he was like, what do you mean the man in the white robe? And he was like, the guy in my dreams with the beard who keeps showing up and telling me to knock on your door, and this is the address they gave me. Do you know who the man in the white robe is? My buddy was like, yes, actually I do. His name is Jesus. Can I tell you about him? And every single month, I'm not kidding, guys, every single month since they've been there, at least one person knocks on the door and says, will you tell me about the man with the white robe? And this is a story, I don't know if you're familiar with what's going on in the Muslim world right now, but this is a story that's being told all over the Muslim world right now. It's happening not just where my friend is at, not just in this space. It's happening all over the country where God is actually showing up and doing these amazing, miraculous, incredible, God-only moments, right? Things that we can't describe unless it's him. And that's what we've been seeing in the book of Acts. And, and I get it. Like, sometimes I hear stories like that, or I read the book of Acts, and I feel a little skeptical. Are you with me? Kind of like, well, God acted that way when Jesus was around, but he's not acting that way now. Or God doesn't do those kinds of miracles these days. I've not seen those things. And we read through the book of Acts, and what we don't understand is that the book of Acts is like, it's like the highlight video of everything that's going on. It's like the best moments ever throughout the history of the early church. 
And so imagine if we took the best moments of the church in America over the last 10 years and we ask every church in America to tell us their God-only moments, imagine how many stories we would have to tell that we could write in a book as well. So we read it, and, and the problem is we read it chronologically, right? So we read like, here's a miracle, 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 here's an amazing thing, here's a crazy thing. And we look at our lives and we're like, why is that not happening to me? But we gotta understand a few things. One is this is happening over a lifetime. This is happening over decades. The, the book of Acts is not like a one-year thing. It's not like an episode of 24, right? Like this is happening over a long period of time. The second thing is this is the highlights from everything that God is doing. Does that make sense? And I can tell you right now, if we just started a book of what God has been doing here at Grace Marietta, we would have miracles that we could write in that book. We would have amazing things that we would say, God only. Like there's no other way that could have happened without the power and the presence of God. And I wanna imagine, like imagine the stories we're gonna tell 30 years from now, guys. No, nobody got excited about that. Um, like this, 30 years from now, we're gonna be telling more stories of how God showed up and how God did incredible things and more stories of like God did this thing and we can't explain it and we can't understand it, but it was the power of God. It was the presence of God and we all got to see it and we all got to experience it. I can't wait to be an old man standing up here in this pulpit like telling you guys the stories of what God has done throughout the history of Grace Marietta. And because we're a new church, we get to be the seeds that plant the good news. Right, So what we get to do is we get to plant the seeds of the good news every single day. We get to walk in the power and the presence of God, and we get to experience the story and the goodness and the grace of everything that's happening. So as we reach Acts chapter 9, there's another one of these stories that's like, this is kind of weird. Are you with me? Can we acknowledge that the book of Acts is kind of weird? Everybody with me? We're okay with weird. We're going to keep Christianity weird. We're all right with that, all right? Here's what it says, verse nine, or chapter 9, verse 1. It says, meanwhile, Saul. Now, Saul is who eventually becomes Paul, who wrote nearly all of the New Testament. Saul is the man who is the greatest missionary, the greatest theologian that ever walked the earth other than Jesus. But Saul, all we know of Saul to this point is Saul was the guy who is persecuting the church. So he is right now killing Christians because he thinks that's the right thing to do. When they killed Stephen, he was the guy that was the coat check guy, right? He was collecting everybody's coats when they decided to kill him. And he said, just give them to me. Here's your rock. Go kill this dude. You with me? So Saul, still breathing murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, went to the high priest. Because Saul has access to the high priest, we know that he is a man of great influence. Right? Not everybody can just hang out with the high priest. That's like going to somebody in the government and saying, I'd like a meeting with you. Right? Not a lot of us can get those appointments. Saul could. He went to the high priest and he asked him for a letter to the synagogues in Damascus. Now remember what we've talked about the last few weeks, the gospel is spreading outside of Jerusalem and going to the other places, which Jesus told him to do. Samaria, Judea, ends of the earth. This is happening. And so Saul, who had been persecuting the Christians in Jerusalem, is now saying like, wait a minute, this is moving beyond our city. I got to move beyond our city with it. And so I got to go get permission so that I can persecute these folks. So he wanted a letter for the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, any Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he was actually grabbing them, arresting them, and taking them back to Jerusalem. So uh, just like my friend in the Muslim world right now, 
is terrified of what could happen to him and his family. The Christians in this time were terrified of what could happen to them. So the gospel had kind of gone underground a little bit. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, here's some things to understand about Saul. Saul thinks he's doing the right thing. He thinks he's being devout. He thinks he's following the things that God is asking him to do. He thinks he's doing the right thing. And and the challenge for us is there's a lot of people in the world who claim to be Christians who believe that they're doing the right thing, but what they're doing is actually damaging. Christ never invites us to hurt any image bearers of himself. And here's the crazy thing. Creation teaches us that every single person we ever come in contact with is an image bearer of the most high God. Every person. Think of the person that annoys you the most in the world. Don't tell me who it is. Don't nudge the person next to you if that's them, right? Think of the person that annoys you the most in the world. That person is an image bearer of the most high God. They were created in the image of God for his likeness to do the good works that he's prepared for them in advance. And so anytime we act in violence against others, anytime we act in prejudice against others, anytime we act in hatred towards others, we are acting in a way that is counter to the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is always love. And that sounds really trite, right? It sounds like insignificant, like love can't really change anything. It sounds like an 80s love song, like those guys that had like the really long hair and sang really cheesy songs and wore tight pants. Like that's what we think of when we think of love because love, we feel like love is insufficient, but the, the Bible teaches us that love actually has the power to transform. The love actually has the power to change lives. And in a little bit, there's gonna be 12 people and I'm hoping more who gather in that pool and every single one of those stories is a story that love conquered my fear. Love conquered my brokenness. Love conquered my sin. Love set me free because we are a people who believe that love has the power to do something significant. Are you with me? All right. So whenever our love of God or the things of God turns into anger or bitterness or resentment or hatred or violence against others, we actually become a walking contradiction of what we claim to be. And so we've got to be constantly evaluating our life. Are we creating enemies? Are there people that we see as others? Are there, are, are, are there ways that we're interacting with people that is not exhibiting the love of Jesus in our life over and over again? And if there is, we've got to change our ways. So there's a theory in theological circles of what Saul is doing. In the Old Testament, they teach this passage, and it's like a prayer that you pray on the road. All right, so, so good Jewish boys would grow up learning this prayer that while you were traveling on the road, you would pray. And the prayer is, Lord, I want to see you. That's the prayer. There's, there's a lot more to it. I won't go into all of it because we don't have time, right? But the prayer is, Lord, I want to see you which is a good prayer, right? That's a, that's a good prayer. It's a prayer that Moses prayed. I wanna see your glory. I wanna know you. I wanna understand you. And so as people were driving down the road, they're asking, Lord, I wanna see you. So Paul's traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus. Theories are, he's praying this prayer. Lord, I wanna see you. Like, show me who you are. Show me what's going on. And I believe that when we pray that prayer, God shows up. 
That when we're humble enough to say, I wanna see you, I wanna understand you, that even if we're far from him, even if we've never seen him before, even if we've never understood him before, when we ask the Lord, he shows up. And so whenever God shows up in scripture, they can't explain it. They have to use words like, like. It was like a bright light. It was like uh, it was like an amazing moment. Like everything is kind of this like. It, it's almost as if, have you ever been trying to tell a story to somebody and you're really excited about this story? I was doing this last night. We had some people at the house and we were hanging out and there was this really cool thing that happened this week and I started to tell them the story about it. And I'm a pretty decent storyteller, but about midway through my story, I was like, this story is lame and this story does not explain what happened. And so you say this, I guess you just had to be there. Have you been there? Like, you're really excited to tell this story. There's a lot of good stuff in there. But as you're explaining it, you're like, I can't give words to this that give justice to what actually happened. Like, I don't have the words that describe how awesome this was. This is what happens in the Bible when God shows up. There are no words to describe how amazing it is, how incredible it is. And so they have to use words like, it was like a bright light. It was like this incredible thing. They, so Ezekiel saw the likeness of his, of his glory. Moses saw just a glimpse of the presence of God. And so there's all these moments throughout scripture where there's just this little thing and as jacked up as Saul is in this time, he prays the prayer, Lord, let me see you because sometimes our most holy prayers come in our most unholy moments. Are you with me? Sometimes our most holy prayers are the prayers where it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's next. I'm scared. I'm afraid. I don't know how to figure this out, but will you show up? God meets the humble. He meets us in our broken places. He meets us in our hurting places. He meets us when we're wounded. Scripture tells us that he's close to the brokenhearted. That he meets us in those places where we say, God, I need you. God, I can't do this. God, I'm scared. Have you ever been with somebody that doesn't really know how to pray, but is trying to pray? I love those. Those are my favorite prayers. It's like, hey, God, me, Todd, haven't talked in a while. But uh, you help my mom. Peace out, right? Like they, they, they don't like. I, I love it. I love working with teenagers when you, when you, when teenagers are starting to pray and they're starting to learn how to pray. I think God loves those prayers. I think He loves the prayers when we say, "I don't really even know how to talk to you right now, God, but I'm going to try." He loves those moments, and so Saul shows up and he starts praying, and his prayer is, "Let me see you." I want to see you. I want to know who you are. And Jesus shows up. Now, here's the thing. Saul didn't expect Jesus to show up, did he? Because Saul didn't believe in Jesus. Saul expected God to show up. Like the angry God of the Old Testament, they wanted him to kill everybody and be revengeful and vindictive. And Jesus shows up and says, no, 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 no. That's not the way of God. The way of God is love, and I revealed it through my life. The people that he'd been persecuting, the people that he'd been imprisoning, those were the people who were actually right. And you ever had, have you ever had this moment where the God you wanted to didn't show up, but the God you needed did? This is what happens. He wants a God to come alongside of him and pat him on the back and say, yeah, you're, you're doing good, Saul. Keep persecuting those Christians. Keep arresting them. That's my way. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and says, uh-uh. It's me. Did you notice the, the words in the text? Why are you persecuting me? When we persecute the church, we're actually persecuting the leader of the church, which is 
When we hurt God's people, we're actually hurting the presence and power and the creator and the father of all things. So he says, why are you persecuting me? Have you ever had those moments when you're praying and you ask God to show you something and he showed you something you didn't want to see? I have all these moments in my life where I'm like, Lord, would you show them something? <laughs> right? Would you show my kids how to knock it off? Would you show my neighbors how to be nicer? Would you show whatever? And I'm naming all these things. And in the midst of it, God's like, I, I, yeah, I'll take care of them. But I want to show you something about you. Sometimes the things that we pray for in others and the things that bother us most about other people, it bothers us the most because it's actually the same thing that's going on inside of us. So Saul says, I want to see you. And he gets something he didn't bargain for. Uh, we planted a church a long time ago on the University of Louisville's campus in Louisville, Kentucky. And when we planted a church, you know, you're, you're starting a church, you're just trying to draw people to you, trying to connect with people. And, and there was another guy that had a ministry there on campus who didn't like what we were doing. Like, I, don't, I don't know what was happening. I don't know if people were just excited about our church and not excited about his, but he was mad that we were starting this thing. And so he came to like one of our fundraiser events and and was just like really angry, said some really harsh and mean things to me. Um, and, uh, and then he, uh, he started writing like these blogs about our church, like about how we were doing the wrong thing and how God wasn't with us. And uh, there were some not nice things said about me in there. And, and I was praying and I was like, God, show up. Come on, God, zap him or strike him down or, or do something, right? Come on, come on, let me see your power, like sit. Make him move to Minnesota, right? Something like get him out of Louisville because I'm trying to do this thing and this guy's distracting from what I want to do. And everything in me wants to fight. You have that instinct sometimes? Like everything in me wants to be like, come on, man. And like have a conversation, like talk, talk it out. And we're praying. So our team is praying, God, show up. God, redeem us. God, do something in this guy's life. And I'm not kidding. Every guy in the room came back and we met together and they were like, what does God, what does God want us to do? And one of the guys in the room says, I think God wants us to fund his ministry this year. I think God wants us to take the money that we just raised at that fundraiser that was gonna help our church, and I think he wants us to give it to him. And I was like, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't want to do that. He wants me to keep that money, and he wants us to build this church, and we don't have a lot of money because if you've not looked around, we're like 300 college students and there is nobody around here who's putting anything in the offering plate other than like nachos and parking tickets. Like, like we don't have much, Lord, so we're not gonna give it. And they were like, I think this is what the Lord wants us to do. This is what the Lord wants us to do. And so we said, okay, we're gonna do it. We wrote a check. I, I called him and I said, hey man, we were praying for you today and we just wanted to know like how much funds do you need to fund your ministry for the rest of the year? He told me the number and I was like, oh crap. <laughs> because it was bigger than I thought. And we, we wrote a check and we sent it to him. And on Friday of that week, a check came in the mail that was three times the size of the check that we wrote from some guy who I had never met in my life who said, I was praying and I felt like I should give this money to your church. Sometimes the God that we ask to show up is not the God that we want, but he's the God that we need. And when we pray that prayer, God, I want to see you, we better be prepared for God to show us who he really is and not who we want him to be. And in those moments, powerful things begin to happen. 
So I want to give you just a couple things that we see here uh, in the heart of God, that we see things through God. So let's go to verse five. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city, and you'll be told what to do next. So the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. But Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see. So they led him to the hand by Damascus, and for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. So I want you to imagine Saul in this place. He's had an encounter with God who said to him, the men that you're killing, the men that you're persecuting, those are actually my guys, so knock it off. And there has to be like this terror, this fear, this awe, this shame, this guilt of like, man, I've screwed all of this up, and suddenly he goes blind in the midst of this. And so I wanna give us just two things to walk through, and then we're gonna get to our baptisms. Number one is Paul knew about God, but he hadn't seen God. And my guess is there are some people in the room in here who have heard about God, who know some information about God, but have not actually seen him. I, I, do, I, I coach a lot of pastors. And as I coach pastors, we get on these phone calls and we talk about what God's doing and we talk about what's happening in their ministries and we pray and we try and seek him. And, and, and a few weeks ago, this pastor was talking about just feeling so discouraged, feeling so frustrated. He, was, he said this to me. He said, I don't even feel the love of God anymore. I don't even know anything about where the love of God is anymore. I feel alone. I feel abandoned. I feel like God's just sent me out here to die. My people are frustrating. Like everything about my church is bad right now. And God just isn't doing anything. And I said to him, I said, I think you know about God, but you have, I think you know about God's love, but you haven't experienced his love. And the guy was like, no, 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 no. Let me tell you how I know about the love of God. And he told me like six verses straight out of the Bible about the love of God. And they were right, right? He knew his Bible. He knew the, he knew the words in there. He knew what to say. He knew what the Bible said about love. And then we stopped and I said, all right, I, I understand that you know the word of God. I want you to experience the love of God. And so we're gonna stop and we're gonna pray and we're gonna ask that we would see God and we're gonna pray that you would experience the love of God. And we stopped and everybody on the call started praying. We want you to experience the love of God. And by the end of the call, this dude is weeping in tears saying, that's never happened to me before. And we said, that's the love of God. There are many of us in the room who you know facts about God, you know information about God, you know the word of God, you know some rules and regulations of all kinds of things, but you've not actually experienced the love of God. Sometimes salvation feels like blindness, but what's actually happening is God is giving us new eyes. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. There is a way that we can operate in the world where we can only see what's in front of us. We can only see what's right there. We can only see our disappointment. We can only see our frustration. We can only see our past. We can only see our woundedness. We can only see our brokenness. We can only see our hurt. And God is saying to every single one of us in there, you're not seeing with my eyes because my call on your life is not that you die again. It's that you rise. And all of the things that have been broken, all the things that have been taken away, all the hurt, all the pain, all the wounds, all the brokenness, you can focus all your attention on that. You can focus your whole life on that. You can walk in bitterness. You can walk in frustration. You can walk in pain and you can walk in woundedness or you can be set free by all of this by the love of Jesus. 
And so there are many of us, and, and me included in this, God, who can walk through a day and all we look at is what, what's seen. We're only paying attention to the logistics and the circumstances and all the things that are in front of us. And God is saying, no, I wanna set you free from that. All sometimes we see is our problems when he wants us to see a savior. All we can see is a lack when he wants to show us his abundance. We get so focused on our problems that we don't actually see a God that's big enough to deal with our problems. And so here's the good news for every single one of us today. Every eye on me for a second. Here's the good news. God wants to give you eyes to see. He wants to cure your blindness. He wants to show you that there is a bigger world, that there are bigger things happening, that there is a spiritual world where there are kingdom things going on all over the place that we may not be able to see, but where I'm at work and I'm moving, and that's incredibly good news for us. Number two is Paul knew about God, but he hadn't experienced God. He knew about him, but he hadn't experienced him. So he knew about him, but he hadn't seen him, but he knew about him also, and he hadn't experienced him. He had this Damascus Road moment. This moment where he was feeling like, I can't see anything. I don't know anything. And, and what happens when we haven't experienced the love of God is, is we believe that we're abandoned and we shrink back and we pay attention to all the things that we don't need to pay attention to. It, our body has a natural response to pain. You know this? Like our body naturally withdraws from pain. So if I'm reaching out to grab a hot oven, like whether I'm thinking about it or not, my body is gonna pull me away from that, All right? I don't know how it works, but there is something in us that's like fight or flight that when we're faced with pain, we will instantly withdraw. We'll instantly pull back from all of those things. And so when we get hurt, what happens is we don't go back. There's a bunch of people I know who went to church and got hurt in church and said, I'm never going back. And we come by it naturally, right? It's a protective mechanism. I know young people who were in love and fell in love and thought they had found the one and it didn't work out. And so they tell themselves, I'm never gonna love again. I know people who've been through a divorce and it hurt and it was painful and it was hard. And so they say, I'm never getting married again. I know people who opened themselves up to relationships with friends and they invited people into their lives and they started doing life together and started doing community together and it didn't work out. So they said, I'm never gonna open myself up like that again. I'm gonna keep everybody at arm's length distance so that nobody really knows me and I really don't know anybody else. Every single person in this room has a protective mechanism in our life where we are actually protecting ourselves from experiencing the life that God has called us to. When I was 16 years old, guys, I got cut from my basketball team. And, and it didn't make any sense because I was good, right? I'm telling you, you guys got to believe me, right? My coach was garbage. It wasn't like Coach Chuck, right? My coach didn't know what was going on. And I got cut from the basketball team and I, it hurt so bad. And so what we do when we get hurt is we make a promise to ourselves. And so I made a promise to myself. And that promise that I made was I am never going to lose again. I'm never gonna put myself in a position where I get cut. And so what I started doing was I started playing ball 24 hours a day. Like, I'm not kidding. I, was, I, I woke up in the morning. I played before school. I played after school. I played like crazy. Every guy on the team put my number on their shoes that year, like I died, all right? Uh, and, 
And at the end of that year, my junior year, I came back and I dominated everything because I was not going to lose. And I thought I'd found this mechanism for living, right? So if I'm about to lose, all I got to do is I got to find out what everybody's expectations are of me and I got to do better than everybody else thinks I could do, which is, is, is okay strategy. But the problem is it means I got to work like crazy. And so, you know what I did? I took all of the things I learned in basketball and I started applying them to ministry. And I became a pastor. And I don't know if you know this about pastors, but sometimes people don't like them. Um, And sometimes people say things about them that aren't fair. And sometimes people don't think they're doing the thing that they want to do. And so they want you to do the thing that they want to do rather than the thing that the church is actually doing. And so what I tried to do was I tried to be the savior to my church for about 10 years. I tried to do everything that everybody asked of me. I tried to exceed everybody's expectation. I'm telling you guys, if I would preach a bad sermon, if I got a sense that like the crowd was bored, I would beat myself up like crazy and I would start studying again. Like next week, next week I'm bringing it. Next week it's gonna be better. I, would, I remember this. I would sit around at night and I would be like watching TV. I don't know what shows were on at that time, ALF or something like that, right? I, I was like watching TV and I was sitting around and I would feel guilty that I was resting and that I was watching TV and I would be like, I gotta turn this off and I gotta read a theology book because I gotta work harder than the pastor down the street because I gotta outwork everybody. And so I applied all of this stuff to ministry. The promise I made to myself was I'm never gonna feel like that again. The strategy that I made was I'm gonna win at everything. And I found myself 10 years into ministry, exhausted, worn out, tired, ready to quit, ready to give up when I had my Damascus Road experience. I was in a cabin on the Ohio River. I was writing my resignation letter. I was ready to go coach basketball for the rest of my life and quit and be done being a pastor. And the Lord showed up and said to me, Ben, I don't care if your ministry's great, you're my son. I don't care if you preach a great sermon, you're my son. I don't care if you are the worst pastor in the history of the world and your church is the worst church in the history of the world. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. So stop trying to earn my love and just receive it. And in that moment, scales fell from my eyes. And in that moment, the blindness went away. And in that moment, I could see God for who he really was. And I want to tell you guys, God is beautiful. And he's good and he's amazing. And life with him is the greatest adventure that you could ever possibly go on. And I'm telling you, there is so much goodness available if you surrender your life to him. Hurt causes us to protect. I got a friend that went to counseling, told me this story. He went to counseling and, and he, as he was sitting in front of the counselor, he told the counselor, he said to him, he said, I'm, I'm really hurting. My, my son just went through a divorce. My daughter just moved and there's all this pain going on in her life and, and my wife is struggling with this illness and I'm just hurting like crazy. And the counselor looked at him and said, okay, so what's the problem? And he said, well, my son's going through a divorce and my daughter just moved and has all this pain in her life and my wife is battling this illness. And he said, okay, what's the problem? He started to get mad. Like this guy's the worst counselor in the history of the world. He's like, I don't know if you heard me, but my son is going through a divorce and my daughter, she just moved away and there's all this stuff happening and my wife is sick and, and he looked at him and he said, listen, 
What you're experiencing is exactly what you experience when you love. Love suffers long. That's what 1 Corinthians 3 says. And if we're going to put ourselves out there, we're going to experience hurt. The depth in which you love is also the depth in which you might be hurt. It's really true. And so the reason you're hurting right now is because you love your kids. You love your wife. That's exactly what you're supposed to feel. I would be much more concerned if you had created a shell in your life and decided I'm not gonna love, I'm not gonna feel, I'm not gonna hurt for these types of things. The challenge for us is, is if we're going to love, if we're gonna open ourselves up to the love of God, if we're gonna open ourselves up to the love of others, if we're gonna really experience real community and real joy, then we're gonna open ourselves up to the possibility that we will be hurt. Which means what God does is he enters in and he takes away our protective mechanisms that are here to protect us and he peels back the shell and he says, trust me. As I was praying this morning, guys, I had an overwhelming sense that there are some people in this room who have created a shell around their lives that says, I am never going to be hurt again. I'm never gonna put myself in a position again where I can get hurt. I'm never gonna open myself up to a relationship. I'm never gonna open myself up to a friendship. I'm never gonna open myself up to that job promotion. I'm not gonna put myself out there because if I do, I'll just get hurt again. I'll just get hurt again. I'll just get hurt again. And I think the presence and power of the living Lord wants to say to you today, Drop the shell and experience resurrection. Stop protecting yourself and trust me that I will protect you. And if we experience him, all of a sudden the scales start to fall. So verse 17, I'm sorry, I'm almost done. Ananias went to the house and he entered it. And imagine Ananias. God says, Ananias, I need you to go. Ananias is like, you need me to go to the guy who's been killing Christians? That's who you're sending me to? Like, it's one thing for us to go into the neighborhood and love them. It's another thing to go to the guy that wants to kill us. This is what Ananias is doing. So he went to the house and he entered it. And he placed his hands on Saul and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me that you may see and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. And he got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And I wanna say to every single person in this room, God has sent me today to remove the scales from your eyes. God has sent me today because I've been praying about it all week. I don't just come up here and talk. I've been praying about what the Lord wants to give me. And he has sent me today to tell you that you can drop the shell. You don't have to protect yourself. That you were made for love and you're going to love again. That you were made for relationships and relationships are good for you. That you were made for the church and although the church does a lot of terrible things and there's no perfect place, the church is good and it's doing good things. So here's what we're about to do. We're about to baptize a bunch of people. And I've met with almost every single person that's getting baptized today and as I met with them, I just asked them to tell my story and every single one of their stories is just like Paul's story. I wanted to see God and I finally saw him. I opened myself up and I decided I, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta drop the way that I'm living because it's not working. A lot of times people meet with me and they'll be like, hey, pastor, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that, I'm struggling with this. And I'm like, well, what are you doing about it? Well, I'm doing this, this, and that. And my question to them is, how's that working out? And they're like, not great. Well, maybe we can try a different way. There's some people in this room who you've been trying to do it your own way. 
You've been trying to live with the shell. You've been trying to live with the promise that you made to yourself that's not working. And today I wanna invite you to try a new way. I wanna invite you to open yourself up to see God and experience him. And so the band's gonna come and we're gonna move into a time of communion. And as we move into a time of communion, I would love it if every single person in this room started to pray this prayer. Lord, would you help me to see you? And would you help me to experience you? And I believe without a shadow of a doubt that the Lord wants some people who didn't sign up for baptisms today to come up and get baptized. And so as we're doing communion, all the folks that are getting baptized are gonna go to different spots. Tater is gonna be in this corner right here. And we got t-shirts and all kinds of good stuff going on for everybody. And if you wanna get baptized today, we'll get you a t-shirt. I don't care if you go out of here with wet jeans or whatever you're wearing, God doesn't care. We're gonna celebrate and turn this into a party the rest of the day. All right, so we're gonna enter into a time of worship. Communion's available. We come and we take the bread and the juice to remember what Jesus did for us. And some of us just need to say, I'm, I'm coming to get baptized. I'm coming to experience the power and presence of the Lord. I wanna see again. I wanna experience him again. And so come to the front, find Tater. Everybody that is getting baptized, kind of go to the sides. Let me pray for us and then we'll enter in. Father God, I thank you that you're good and that you're working. Holy Spirit, I pray that your presence would move and work in power right now in this place. I pray that you would set the captives free. I pray that you would give us eyes to see what's really going on. I pray that you would lovingly remove the layers of our life of protection and give us your promises. I pray that the God we seek shows up. And I pray today, Holy Spirit, that we experience one of those moments that we say at the end of the day, only God, only God could do this. Only God could break through like this. Only God could do this. We thank you in advance for what you're